Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Jovan Lazo, and I'm here back again with Sean. So glad to have Sean back on the podcast after taking a brief hiatus and having Rachel <laughs> having Rachel to come and fill in for him. Um, Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. It's great to be back. Um, Rachel did a great job in my absence, so I'm yes. very proud of her. But we have a great episode for, for our plan for you guys today. So very excited. Definitely. And um, one feedback I feel like we always get is we don't have enough industry and it's not on purpose. <laughs> We're just not well connected. And um, thank you, Alvin, for being able to reach out to uh, this pharmacist that we're about to interview, uh, Dr. Patrice Gabriel. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Joven. Thank you, Sean, for having me. Of course. Um, so just to kind of talk about this episode, um, Patrice is doing a fellowship uh, for MSL position. So we'll get into that. And we just kind of wanted to bring some exposure to everybody about industry. I know that's kind of the forgotten component in pharmacy. And I think this is going to be a great episode for anybody that has any interest, anybody that's had a little thought. I don't care if it's just like, hmm, maybe, maybe I do this, maybe not. If you feel that way, like definitely, definitely please tune in, listen to this episode. Patrice is going to give everybody great advice and I'm sure it, it'll help kind of guide you and, and help you figure out if maybe this is something you want to explore more or maybe this is actually your calling. So thank you so much for coming on, Patrice. So just to get started, um, just kind of let us know where you're doing your fellowship at and what is an MSL. Perfect, yeah. So I'm currently doing my fellowship at a company called Sanofi Genzyme. So the fellowship is a two-year MSL fellowship in conjunction with Massachusetts, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy or MCPHS. And so you're doing the fellowship, but you're also like part-time faculty um, 90% of your time is devoted to the company. So faculty piece doesn't really play that big of a role, but you know, we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, you can kind of utilize it how you choose to. So uh, my fellowship is for medical science liaison or MSL in the neurology territory of our company. So working more specifically with like MS, and then you know, we're also looking into other disease states like CIDP and ALS. Um, so what an MSL is, uh, I love this question. It's very dynamic, right? So mm -hmm. the way I, I mean, I have a bias. The way I like to think of an MSL is like, essentially you're kind of the face of the company in my mind. So you got to think about, you know, as pharmacists, we understand um, the drug trial process, phase one, phase two, phase three, a drug gets approved by the FDA, then it's out in the world, right? And so, you know, the drugs are studied in this vacuum, like this perfect environment. Um, you know, so many things are controlled, randomized controlled trials. We all know what that's all about. And then yeah. you go out into the real world and you start utilizing these drugs in different patient populations. You know, let's say, for example, an MS drug is studied in patients with MS, but they might all be like, uh, you know, 50-year-old Caucasian males and this, that, and the third. And then you put it out in the real world. Now you have patients with diabetes and heart failure and, you know, a, a multitude of comorbidities. So the MSL role is really unique in that the main thing about being an MSL, 90% of the role is relationship building. So every MSL is given a given territory, and that can be, you know, as large as like four states to as small as one city, just based on the concentration of physicians. And so your job essentially is to engage with those physicians, those advanced practice professionals, like NPs, PAs, sometimes even pharmacists. And it's really a two-way education. So you're going to educate them sometimes on the disease state, you know, or just have those disease state discussions and also about your company's products. 
but they're also going to let you know about, you know, what's important to them, what's important to their patients, and how the drug is faring in the real world. And so then as an MSL, you're able to take that information back to the company to help drive strategy. Um, you know, basically what you want to do as an MSL is provide as much value as you can to these physicians. So they're going to utilize you as a resource. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for you to learn. Um, for example, I'll, I'll give you a real world example, if you don't mind. Um, mm. I was engaging with a KOL, uh, the physician's key opinion leaders, we call them KOLs. Um, mm. And I, learned, I was discussing about Parkinson's disease. And so, you know, what we had been taught was that, you know, there was a stepwise process to how you treat Parkinson's disease. And more specifically yeah. speaking, deep brain stimulation was like some was a type of therapy, like surgical therapy that you would do later on in the disease course. You know, you try everything else first, you know, levodopa, all these different things, and then you would get to that point. Well, while engaging with a physician, I learned that deep brain stimulation was now actually something that they would consider as early as four years post Parkinson's diagnosis. So that was something that I didn't know. Um, and I brought that back to the company and it was just important to kind of educate the whole team, right? Because that was one KOL that I engaged with, but the other MSLs, you want them to be prepared and ready for these discussions, you know? So now we're all a little bit more prepared to speak to that next KOL the next time, you know, having a wider range of knowledge and different things like that. So there's so much I can say about the role. It's super dynamic. I'll start with that as a baseline because I know we'll probably when you ask me like fellowship stuff or what yeah. am I doing, I can talk more about different variations of the role and different projects that I work on. But um, just as that initial umbrella, I'd say the MSL is literally what it's titled, the liaison between what's going on in the real world and what's going on at the company. Okay. And then how long would you say you you typically spend with a certain drug or disease state? Does that change a lot? So it's really up to you, honestly. Um, obviously, every drug has its own life cycle. So depending on where you come into the picture, you know, uh, when I came into the fellowship, the products that I was being trained on had been in the market for 10 years. So oh. typically speaking, when you talk about patents and things like that, they're like at the end of their life cycle, right? Um, but I mean, MSLs move positions all the time. So for example, if I want to hop from specifically MS, um, but I want to stay somewhere in like the immunology, neurology field, maybe I hop over to dermatology or some people may hop over into oncology or cardiovascular. So um, it's really dynamic and you can really make of it what you want. I'd say most people from what I've seen, ah, actually, no, there's no, there's really no, there's no set standard because yeah. honestly, I've seen people who have been with the company for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. And then you see people who have been, you know, in a 10 year career have already been at four to five companies. So it just really depends. And then you, you know, being a former student, Sean and I being students, um, stepping into that fellowship role where now you actually have to kind of convince and educate physicians. How was, how was that experience? Yeah, so it was it was a interesting learning curve, mm -hmm. especially, you know, being in a disease state like MS now. Yeah. I know we're all from UF, so I don't recall learning about MS. And if we that's, did, that's multiple sclerosis, if people don't know what he's referring to by MS. Yeah, sorry. We use acronyms. Yeah, chronic um, demyelination of, of the myelin sheet in the central nervous system. So that's what's going on there. Affects movement, vision loss, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of complications goes on with that one. Um, but right. yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, I thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and so multiple sclerosis, I don't know that we learned about that in school. I don't, I mean, I don't remember it. And if we did, for me, it was probably like half of a lecture or maybe like one question on a test. I don't know. So <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a learning curve, but what was cool about my company, and this is why fellowships are so interesting because there's such a wide variety of fellowships and the type of experiences you can get. Um, so my fellowship specifically, our company, Santa Fe Genzyme, does a thing where every time they hire an MSO, they have to get like a company certification. And what that certification really means is, you know, okay, you've, you've done your research, you've done your studying, and you've proven that you can be an expert on the disease state and also our products before we let you go speak to any KOLs. Um, so for me, when I first started my fellowship, the first 16 weeks were just really studying. They had us like on a certification program where essentially every Monday we'd get like a list of objectives, you know, lectures to watch and just points that we need to learn. And we would do self-study Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, we would get on training calls with our training team and they would essentially, you know, um, we do mock presentations or, you know, we'd practice verbalization and they'd say, you know, okay, I'm a KOL. This is my question. How would you answer it? Um, just very real world scenarios. And so that was a really uphill battle. I'll be honest with you, because what's really interesting about the MSO role is that it's, a, it's slightly different from what you'll learn in pharmacy school, especially coming from a pharmacy school that focuses on clinical pharmacy, like UF, because I feel like in pharmacy school, a lot of what they taught us was, you know, well, what would you recommend for this patient? Or, okay, you're doing, you know, um, what do they call it? APPE readiness. And they say, yeah. work up this patient. And then you're going to go in this room and talk to the doctor and you're going to give them a recommendation, right? But as an MSL, you can't give recommendations. You can only provide facts. So a doctor might ask you, you know, okay, well, which dose would you use? You can't say, even if you probably have an opinion, you can't say like, oh, I would use this many milligrams over this. You have to say, well, the data shows that you know, both milligrams were effective and this one was more effective for this outcome. So, you know, you'd have to use your clinical judgment. Um, and that was really, it doesn't sound that difficult, That's but it bad. was actually, yeah, it was actually a really hard barrier to break as a pharmacist um, because you're just so used to giving recommendations. Yeah. So I would say aside from the disease state knowledge and having to learn that, that was probably the hardest battle um, of trying to get to where I'm at now. Yeah, I, I would, I would fail that. <laughs> I'm too used to giving recommendations that it's like, wait, what? I can't recommend. <laughs> but um, okay, yeah, I can definitely see that being challenging and playing a role, especially with um the physicians being president. How we've kind of been trained for like three to four years to give a recommendation. It's like now you got to turn that off in 16 weeks <laughs> and be able to just um reframe your mind in order to just give them facts. So that's definitely got to be tough. Um, so speaking of, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it was definitely interesting. And um, I know you said, what was it like getting to where I am now? So that was basically yeah. it. And then at the end of the 16 weeks, we gave presentations on our company's products and had to be able to answer like rapid fire questions and things like that. So um, just to put an end on that certification process and get the stamp of approval to move on forward. And so you said that was like the first 16 weeks of the fellowship? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what are some of your daily tasks that you do in this fellowship? I know you kind of touched on that. Is there anything else that you that you do daily? Yeah, so, and this is where I say it gets really dynamic. My fellowship is really interesting. Um, what I really enjoy about my fellowship is that they really integrate me into the team. So 
I'm never really doing busy work. I'm doing work that matters. Um, I almost feel as though I'm an MSL on the team. And so a lot of the things I'm doing now, um, I'm getting opportunities to get gain leadership experience. So I'm leading Congress planning with my team, uh, working on the competitive intelligence team. So for example, if a company is about to launch a drug that you know, is another product for MS, you know, someone needs to gather all the information for that drug. You know, when the, when the FDA approves it and the package insert is released, we need to train the internal team on that drug especially, you know, if we're assuming that KOLs will ask us about that drug in, in the real world. So we need to be ready to communicate that and understand what were their endpoints, you know, what mechanism of action are they utilizing and where, you know, overall, what are they marketing with their drug? Um, so working with the competitive intelligence team, working on like the MSLs have field-facing documents, or you can think of them as like slide decks, right? So slide decks with different information, different articles, diff- just a lot of different materials. So we have to manage that database. You know, things don't stay relevant forever. So sometimes they have to be reapproved, or you know, the information has to be updated. So I work on making sure all of that is working. Real-world example: This week I had like a slide deck that wasn't building correctly. So I had to like figure that out and because, you know, our MSLs needed that in the field. And, you know, the last thing you'd want is to be presenting to a physician and the slide isn't building correctly or, you know, everything's a mess. So having to go back and edit that and move things around like an inch or two to get it to fix uh, um, on our iPads and stuff like that. So there's a multitude of things I'm doing. It's really exciting. Um, and I wear a lot of hats as a fellow, which is really cool but I feel like these are experiences that are really going to help me you know get a full-time job in the future okay so listening it sounds like it's a lot of building presentations a lot of looking into drug info as far as medications um and working on your presentation skills as far as speaking to the um the pharmacists the physicians uh, physician assistants, et cetera, et cetera. So would you say that's like the broad way to kind of say what you're doing? Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good broad statement. The only thing I would correct probably is, so we don't really build, uh, or I don't typically build like the slide decks necessarily. So mm-hmm. there's another component of the umbrella that an MSL fits under, which is medical affairs. And so okay. I guess this would be a time to kind of break down the industry and just kind of give everyone an oversight mm-hmm. of the different opportunities. So the way I like to think about it is there's like four branches of industry. So there's medical affairs, there's regulatory affairs, there's commercial, and then there's health economics and outcomes research. And within those different umbrellas, there's a multitude of things that pharmacists can do. So in medical affairs, you have like medical information, which is kind of like, it's not really like an MSL. You're not field facing, meaning, you know, you're not going in front of the physicians, which are more in-house handling. So I don't know if you guys have ever for rotations or anything. I, there were times at rotations where my preceptor would say, Hey, figure out how long this drug can be out of the fridge. You know, someone forgot to put it back and we want to know, yeah. can and we put it back in? Or- and it's the <laughs> Yeah. So like, can you use it or not? So I would call the company, you know, call the number on the back of the product and ask them. So yeah. that was like medical information. You know, they're, they're there on standby, just waiting to make sure they can answer those requests. Um, there's medical communications and medical communications will handle a lot of, you know, okay, we're going to build these slide decks and we're going to, you know, have this information. We're going to 
prep publication. So in our company, it's our time to release a publication about an adverse effect or something, you know, pubs or medcom, as they would call it, will handle that. And then like you have the field facing aspect, which is the MSL. Um, so I guess just to go back now that I've mentioned all that to answer your question, I guess broadly what I would say is I'm working on my presentation skills. I'm learning how to present to KOLs and learning as well the daily routines of an MSL. So it looks a little different in the virtual world, but you know, how do you prep for these meetings? How do you reach out to the KOLs based on the company, the metrics that you are, you know, the, uh, the metrics that the company has for you? How do you map out the next year to meet those metrics? And then learning what we call senior MSL duties, which is like, you can be an entry-level MSL, and then the next step up is a senior MSL, where you take a percentage of your time that you dedicate to the field and de dedicate it to internal projects. So that's where, you know, the competitive intelligence, the Congress planning, um, where that's where that comes in. So I guess overarching, working on presentation skills, learning how to establish relationships with physicians, and then learning the internal projects that upper-level MSLs get to work on, which is a multitude of different things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that clarification because I feel those that are listening can identify that's the stuff that they love to do, you know, and that can help them kind of determine if that's a career that they see themselves being involved in daily because that's what it's about, you know, enjoying what you, enjoying your daily task. And if that's something where connection with others, um, whether if it's not patients, um, connections with other healthcare professionals, I should say, um, definitely presentation skills, working in a team, if that's something you enjoy, this definitely does seem like a good, you know, career for you. And to touch on that, uh, since you mentioned virtually, how has that changed? I didn't even think about that, <laughs> about how COVID might have changed, um, how you guys go to the actual site and discuss with these um, healthcare professionals. How has that kind of changed things for you? Yeah, so um, everything's been on Zoom. And I started my fellowship in July of 2020. So you know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, we're not, I guess we're technically still not even out of it yet. Yeah, yeah. So I never re really even got to experience within my fellowship, at least, um, what that looks like in a non COVID world. So, you know, the engagement is all virtual and, you know, all zoom meetings and things like that. And, you know, one of my mentors at my, um, at my job has been telling me that it, it almost seems it's very different from what I'm seeing to what it would be um, in a non COVID world you know, the MSL is the person that's traveling a lot. So yeah. she said, like, you know, you're not experiencing, like, the flights and the hotels and, you know, the different congresses. You know, we have a congress coming up in October that's supposed to be in Austria. So, like, based on how COVID works, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we would be traveling to Austria to engage with these physicians. So I guess the way I like to, the way they put it at work is, like, it's a lot more sexy, right? When, like, you know. <laughs> I like that. I like that when you, when, you have, when there's no COVID. So, um, and it's interesting that you asked that. I want to make sure just for anyone that's listening, who has thought about the MSL rule, I want to make a distinction too. Um, the thing that's a little bit different from the fellowship is in the fellowship, they try to make you see a lot of different things just to help you be prepared. Right. Um, you know, you're, you'll be coming out of the fellowship on your CV, just having a boatload of experiences and different things that maybe someone coming out of clinical practice or, a PhD just coming out of school may not have access to because they didn't have the industry experience. But in terms of like an entry level MSL, a lot of your job is really just, you know, you're going to be traveling, talking to KOLs, you work from home, 
you create your own schedule. You're not being micromanaged in most senses because you don't walk into the office and clock in and clock out every day. And I think that freedom and that liberty is really what attracted me to the role. I'm the type of person where I like to be in situations where my intrinsic motivation can be the driving factor of like whether I succeed or fail. And for me in pharmacy, it was just hard to feel that way in the hospital or retail setting because I had to be somewhere at a certain time, you know, and I had to clock in, I had to clock out. Whereas in MSL, obviously the KOL tells you that they want to meet with you at 1130. You're not going to, you know, not be there at 1130. You have to be there on time. But in terms of being in your own space and getting to create your schedule and you might even, you know, they might say, Hey, I'm available, uh, you know, Tuesday at noon or Tuesday at 8 a.m. You you get to decipher, okay, based on what I'm what I planned that day, you know, noon may work better for me. And there's just a lot more freedom, I think, to really craft your career from my lens. And that's kind of what attracted me to the role. So I just wanted to make that distinction too, because as an entry-level MSL to anyone who's considering that path, you won't necessarily have to be doing all the project work that I'm doing right now as a fellow that is trying to give me experience to that upper level MSL role. Okay. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, because one of the podcast members, <laughs> maybe me, uh, <laughs> might be interested in a future role as an MSL. So <laughs> since he mentioned that, um, just wanting to know, uh, and you kind of touched on it, but for everybody else that's listening, what do you think is the benefit of doing an MSL through a fellowship first, rather than working clinically? And then maybe, um, you know, either through recruitment from the pharmaceutical company or from you just, you know, applying for the job and getting an MSL position, what would you say is the benefits for doing it the fellowship route? So I think for me, um, and this is all my lens and my perspective, Mm -hmm. my opinion, but I truly believe that it's just an easier path. So the way I see it is like, um, the way I would explain it to my friends in the past is like, you think of residency, right? So Um, Some people say, oh, you know, it's hard to become a, you know, a specialized clinical pharmacist if you kind of don't do a PGY-1 or a PGY-2 at that, and you just kind of go in, be a staff pharmacist, you know, it takes like five years to work up, and then maybe you'll, you know, this, that, and the third. They tell you that the path is longer, Um, whereas with a residency, it's like you can do a PGY-1, you can do a PGY-2, and then you can specialize in like ED or ID or something like that, whereas if you didn't take that path, it would be harder and longer to work up. So for me personally, I just think that the fellowship is perfect because it gives you that industry experience. You know, you get to say that you have an understanding and a knowledge of exactly what you want to do. And then it's like a much easier path into that full-time role. Whereas in my opinion, if I would have done residency and then maybe clinical practice, I feel like I would have had to had clinical practice for at least like five to six years, something like that, before I could really step into an MSO role. And then as a pharmacist, and, you know, I just, I'm not sure that it would be easy to get enough clinical practice in a specialized area to then translate that into an MSO role. Because I feel like, to my knowledge as a pharmacist, I don't really know too many pharmacists, for example, who are very focused on specifically multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And so then to try and establish, you know, five years experience specifically in multiple sclerosis to become a multiple sclerosis MSL. I'm not saying it's impossible and I'm not saying that you need that specialized experience because I, that's not the path I took. So I can't really speak to that, but to me, it just doesn't make as much sense as doing the fellowship where you're working at the company, you're establishing these relationships, 
you know exactly what the company's about and then you can just transition into that field right seems yeah. like more of a direct path to me got it okay thank you for that and with the fellowship is it one or two years so it is two years two years okay all right just wanted to and now with that being said there are some fellowships that are one year um i for example when i interviewed at mid-year last year there was one company that was doing a one-year oncology fellowship for MSL that I that I could have done as well. So um, there's varying options. I think more likely than not, you'll see that there are two years, but there are one-year options okay. for all the roles. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I, I felt like when um, I didn't apply for any industry positions, but I did take a peek, I did look, and I felt like most of the ones that I saw were two years for uh, MSL fellowships, but I just wanted to clarify. Okay. Thank yeah, you. and honestly, you know, I don't know, you know, this might be a conversation for later, but just to kind of plant the seed, a lot of people do a PGY-1 and then do a fellowship. My second year fellow, she did a PGY-1 and then she did the fellowship that I'm doing now. Uh, one of my mentors did a PGY-1 and then he did a medical information fellowship. So that clinical knowledge and that clinical acumen that you're going to build in your PGY-1 is going to be extremely valuable. So don't think that, you know, it has to be pharmacy school fellowship industry. It can be pharmacy school, PGY-1 fellowship, and then industry as well. Um, as a pharmacist, you know, what you bring is your clinical knowledge, and that's the strongest thing that you have. So I would say getting that in a PGY-1 and then transitioning that into a fellowship is very, it will make you very marketable as well. So don't shy away from that path either. Yeah, there was um, a couple people who recommended one person <laughs> completely was against that idea, one pharmacist. But um, most of the people I asked, they did recommend getting the PGY-1 just because, you know, it's kind of easier to get the residency when you come right out of school. And if you ever want to leave the industry and want to go clinically practice, like at least you could say you've done it and you have the training um, through that PGY-1. So that's something that it's really going to be on you to determine, but there's no wrong answer I hear if you want to go straight into fellowship or if you want to do a PGY-1 and then do one, like there's no wrong answer. So it just depends on on the person. Definitely. I agree. Okay. And so um, I know you're kind of talking about this earlier, but is there anything you want to kind of add to why you decided this fellowship and how you decided on the MSL position? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'll take you a little bit through my story. So I started pharmacy school at UF Gainesville in 2016. At the time I was working as a pharmacy tech and I thought I just really wanted to do retail. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work at CVS, you know, that's going to be it. Very quickly into pharmacy school, I just realized that it just wasn't the best fit for me. And so then I transitioned into, you know, second year of pharmacy school, you start learning about hospital pharmacy and through the lens of a hospital pharmacist. So then that really interested me as well. Um, the thing is with me, I realized throughout pharmacy school that although I was really good with interacting with patients and, you know, I was able to communicate, I much more enjoyed like the higher level engagement so like anytime I was on rotations or anything where I would run into a doctor or something like that like that just really excited me a lot more um, getting opportunity to learn something and being able to communicate at a high level not necessarily having to dumb it down a little bit um, to present it to someone else and so then I focused my attention on hospital administration because I wanted to always be in a leadership role I didn't necessarily foresee myself you know in the staff pharmacy or on the floor but I wanted to be in a management role um, because I mainly because I wanted my days to be more dynamic. So the thing that scared me about hospital pharmacy for me was 
especially on rotations. Um, mm-hmm. I have friends that laugh about this, but I would go in and I just felt like I was doing the same thing every day. You know, yeah. like I was going in, I was sitting in the same seat and I was looking at the same patients and it just wasn't exciting for me. Um, and so at the time I had some, uh, I was a second year, I believe. And I had some fourth year friends um, who were interviewing for fellowships and through different discussions with different people, people said, oh, you know, your personality would be good for MSL. You're really talkative, you're facey, like, you know, that kind of your thing. And I was really afraid because I had never heard about it. And I was like, I'm two years in, I'm going hospital administration. You know, I was afraid to kind of change gears. And so what I did was one of my friends encouraged me to just reach out to people. So I started reaching out to MSLs and just trying to learn more about their job and what they do, try to learn more about the opportunities in industry for pharmacists. And at first I spoke to a wide range of industry professionals. So it wasn't just MSLs, but I found myself more attracted to what I was hearing from the MSLs. And so honestly, from that point, I, um, you know, one MSL would connect me to another MSL would connect me to another MSL. And I just started to build my network. And this was really in December of my third year. I went to mid-year. I went to mid-year because I, at that time, I thought I was going to do residency and I wanted to see a year early what the residency showcase was like. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to come next year and not know what's going on. So let me figure this out. And then throughout, during that time uh, at mid-year, I was with my friend who was interviewing for fellowships and learning and more about what he was doing. And then I ran into industry professionals that were UF alums and it just all kind of came together, just fell into place. Um, I then you know, worked really hard to try to get industry rotation. And so I was able to make that happen. Um, So that was what really solidified it for me. I think before that point, I was still very much sure I wanted to be an MSL, but I still had the admin thing in the back of my head. Um, I did a six week rotation at Novartis in New Jersey. And after that, I came back to the hospital. I was like, okay, I know I'm going industry like 100%. It was just, I got there. It was just what I wanted essentially. I, I want to speak to this because I mentor a lot of students from UF and I think it's important that just reaching out and learning from people. I, I know for me as a student, I didn't really even know what industry was until my third year. And it's not something that the school really believes in all too much. I, I tried really hard on the Gainesville campus um, as a student. I was on the Dean's Leadership Council and I tried really hard to have them implement like um, even an industry what is the elective, an industry elective. Oh. They said they were going to do it since I've left. I haven't heard it moving any forward. So I don't know um, whether that's going to happen, but I tried really hard to kind of implement that. And I thought I made decent changes at the time, but I think since I've left, some things have kind of gone back to the way they were. So, yeah. you know, just utilizing those alum that you know, and just building your network and just learning more about the different roles, I think will help a lot of people. I want to encourage people to do that. And for me, yeah, it was just more so something someone suggested to me. I looked into it. I liked it a lot, um, and I just pursued it from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great idea. I didn't even think about that, having an industry elective. I think that would be very beneficial. I mean, what better way to expose people than through an elective? You know, we have the AmCare. We have, um, I think we have research as an elective for people that are interested in that. So it's, I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, we don't have an industry one. So I'm glad, I'm glad you were pushing for that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, that's interesting. And to touch on that, with the with the Appy rotation at Novartis, did you have to apply for that? I did. I did have to apply for the Appy rotation at Novartis. Um, 
So that was a process within itself. Do you think, mm -hmm. do you think if you didn't get that rotation that that would have maybe shaped your career a bit differently? That's a good question. I don't necessarily think for myself, it would have shaped my career differently, but I think the benefit to having that rotation was getting to see what industry was like. I can tell you the first week and a half there, I was super stressed. Like I, you know, <laughs> it's just a different side of pharmacy. It's business. Yeah. And I didn't, my mind didn't work that way. I remember having a discussion with my preceptor and we were talking about a trial or something. I can't remember the, the specifics. And I just, I, I said something to him and he was like, oh, you're thinking too much like a pharmacist. You got to think about <laughs> it like this. And so like, it was just a different world, but I think what it helped me do was it helped me to really understand how to communicate certain terminology that they use in the industry, certain things that I could re-verbalize in an interview. And then on top of that, I got to go on field rides with MSLs. So really getting a chance to see what they did, what exactly it looked like and getting to talk to them afterwards about their career and you know what their day-to-day -day was like. And so when you're sitting in an interview and someone's asking you, well, why do you want to be an MSL? Being able to verbalize and show them that you actually have knowledge of the role, I think that's what helped me the most from yeah. that, like that, that. Uh, rotation. So now, granted, I probably could have still got some of that you know, through discussions and mm -hmm. the different people in my network, but I always, for me personally, I'm a visual learner. So there's no better way to learn than for me to actually see it. And I think that's where that made the separation for me. Makes makes a lot of sense. And the reason why I ask that is because I know I had a couple of colleagues in Sean and I's class that wanted industry. They applied for industry rotations and they didn't get it. And I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons why I didn't dive deeper to see why they didn't pursue fellowship route because they ended up going community. So that's why I was just wondering if that would have changed things a bit differently for you. Because um, like you said, you actually had the experience so you know. But if you don't know, if you haven't actually been experienced in it, it's, it's kind of tough to determine whether or not that's something you want to do. And then with the reaching out to other MSLs, or if you're interested in something else in industry, um, marketing, what else did you mention? Like, um, I'm blanking right now. But if marketing, uh, if you're more interested in clinical trial development, things like that, like what is the best way from your point of view to reach out to a pharmacist that works in that field in order to kind of pick their brain about things? Because I'm sure they're super busy. They have like a thousand emails from, from different people. So like, what's the best way to try to get in touch with them? So I think starting out, um, I always say start out with your network that you already have established. So okay. ironically enough, you know, shout out to Dean Burring. I was super close with Dean Burring. Um, mm -hmm. She was one of my mentors when I was in pharmacy school. And one of the first MSLs, one of the MSLs who is actually still my mentor to this day, uh, Dean Byrne connected me with her. She said, oh, you know, I, I actually went, I taught at this school, the school she was prior to UF. And she's like, I know this girl, she's an MSL, I'm going to connect you guys. So I would say first you start out with your network. Then beyond that, you know, LinkedIn, I would say you probably start with fellows. And the reason why I would say that is because fellows like myself, you know, we're we have to recruit for, you know, our positions, but also mm -hmm. I think since we're so fresh and we know we're excited, you know, we always want to give back. So fellows are a really great resource. Not only is it because they were most recently students, but, you know, like I said, it's kind of in their nature as a fellow to give back and be, be there, talk to people. 
um, that they can give you the best insight on the interview process. And, you know, okay, you went through interviews last year, you know, how was that versus someone who went through them 10 years ago, things might look a little different. And then from there, oftentimes fellows can connect you with other people in the industry. It might be someone who is two years out of a fellowship. And then you just start kind of going up and up and up. And I know for me, fellows and then MSLs that I was able to connect with, someone is always going to connect you with someone else. And you'd be very surprised how fast your network grows. And you're going to end up talking to people from a variety of companies because, you know, I may work at Santa Fe Genzyme as a fellow, but I know fellows at different companies. So if I feel like, okay, my friend, he could help you, you know, he has the knowledge that you're looking for, I'll connect you with him. And then that might lead you to being connected with someone else at a different company. So your network can grow so fast. The advice I was given as a third year pharmacy student from my friend was, man, just reach out, just send an email. What's the worst that can happen? And I can tell you to this day, that one email really sparked my entire network. So I would say just go for it. Okay. Thank you. Because I think that's the, looking back when I was in my first year, that was the toughest thing for me was like, why would this person want to speak to me? And how do I, I don't want to say convince them, but how do I pique their interest to have them want to spend time to invest in me? You know, and that's like always something like, oh, they probably won't even email me back or they probably don't want to speak to me. But just taking it simple, I like how you gave that answer. So start simple. Start with your network that you already have. Um, that actually happened with me. I, I was talking to my faculty advisor, Dr. Randor. Shout out to her. And um, she was, I was telling her some of the things I was interested in. And I told her, I was like, I would like to know more about MSLs. Like, I don't know enough. I would like to know more. And she was like, oh, Dr. Miller has a friend that's in MSL. Let me see if I can ask her for her contact for you to reach out to her. And I got in. We had like an hour long conversation. <laughs> she was actually just leaving the field from from doing something like Miami. And she was like driving back, I think, to like Orlando or something like that. So I was just talking to her on the way back. And it was just a great conversation. She gave great advice. And that's someone that I can now I have as a connect to kind of mentor me through the MSL or through the fellowship process. And I thought that was awesome. You know, so I kind of like how you mentioned just starting with your network and then definitely going to fellowships or sorry, to fellows. You know, being the most recent ones, I think a lot of times students think that they're too busy or they won't be able to get back to you. But that's kind of part of the job as a fellow or even as a resident. It is to help recruit and to help bring in people to that site, to that program. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out to current fellows or maybe someone that just recently um, graduated from the program. And then after that, just looking at people that they might recommend or people that you could reach out to from there because once you do that, you kind of already have your baseline, you have your, your base of people that you can connect with, and they're also going to know other people. And then you'll probably find someone that you connect with the most and just keep in touch with those people will definitely help um, kind of steer you down the right path. So I love that answer that you gave. Um, and hopefully everybody listening will definitely do that. If they have anything that they're interested in, in the industry or fellowship or um, any type of field in pharmacy, like that's something that I think is uh, definitely a great way to go about trying to connect yourself with people in that career. Yeah, and I, I think one thing I just want to make sure I add to that is for any students listening or anyone listening, really, um, I think I really just want to encourage you to seek out mentorship. Um, I can say wholeheartedly that where I am right now in my career and the things I've gotten to see and the things I've gotten to accomplish, um, I attribute to, you know, my perseverance with mentorship. 
I have a million mentors and I ask people to mentor me all the time. And I think that's kind of a hurdle for some people yeah. is to ask for that help. Um, but you'd be surprised. You know, I think we often get this false sense of like that there's going to be a disconnect after you left school for quite some time and you've been working. But there are truly people out there, you know, like myself, who really, really enjoy helping others and giving back is like their MO. You know, I mentor a lot of students um, through the fellowship interview process and things like that, because I just really enjoy helping others develop in their career. So um, there are a lot of people out there. My preceptor at Santa Fe Genzyme is amazing. And he's like all about career development. And he's like, what, I don't know, 20, 25 years, something like that into his industry career. But you know, there is no disconnect. He wants to still be connected to students and to help people. And so there are a lot of people out there like that. And you'll be surprised how easily you can find them. So I just want to make sure I plug mentorship for everyone and just make sure everyone's aware that, you know, you don't have to be afraid to reach out. Um, you'd be surprised at where it can get you in the future. Definitely. I completely agree. 100%. 100%. So to kind of add on to that, what is um, some, maybe some other things you would recommend for students to help kind of build their network or to build their CV for a residency position or not residency, sorry, fellowship position? No problem. Yeah. So actually, um, this is some. This is a question I love too because so many students think that the industry rotation is like the end all be all, right? And let's be real, at UF, you know, I don't know, there's 280 something students, and there's like maybe six industry uh, rotations. So one thing I want to encourage everyone is that the industry rotation it helps. I'm not going to lie to you; it does help. People will see it on your CV, and they will ask you about it in an interview. But it's not the end all be all. And I actually think um, where I made some of my biggest impacts in my interviews was talking about things outside of the industry rotation, because I think it takes a different level of determination and dedication for you to go to an interview, not have any direct experience, but be able to speak on things that are going to be somewhat relevant. And now that seems a little vague, so I'll explain a little bit. So, for example, I wanted to be an MSL, right? And in my clinical rotations, I did anything possible I could to get in front of doctors, whether that was presenting on pharmaceutical waste or whether that was going to the OR and asking to shadow you know, the surgeons, um, working on P&T committees, uh, working on drug monographs, things like that, right? So for someone who's interviewing me and I'm telling them, okay, I really want to be an MSO. I'm like, okay, so you know, explain to me why. And I'm giving them projects that are relevant to the MSO role in a non-MSL or a non-industry setting, I think that speaks volumes to someone who has really put the time in to figure out like, okay, even in the absence of these opportunities that would obviously, you know, be better, I guess you would say, quote unquote, better. This person is still so determined to find things that are relatable and that are relevant. I think that speaks volumes. And I think for UF students, that's where you can really, you know, make yourself shine. Because they understand, you know, these the people at these companies understand that there's not any industry companies in the South. Like, they get it. They've, you know, they've interviewed kids years after year after year. They understand that the kids in the South are typically trained to be more clinical. Yeah. And so utilize that to your advantage. You know, let them know that, hey, in the absence of industry rotation, I did this, this, and this, you know, to show that I really want this job. I understand what it is to be an MSL and I understand what I needed to do and the skills that I would need to be successful in this fellowship. And I went out of my way to get them. Another thing is, you know, I also think it speaks volumes because for me, you know, I, I interviewed kids this year for um, fellowship positions. I interviewed fourth year students and 
I understand it's not always easy. Um, yeah. I don't know what you guys' in, uh, rotational experiences were like if you ran across anyone of your colleagues that was interested in the industry, but not all preceptors really get it and not all preceptors mm-hmm. will be okay with it. Um, I had preceptors who were pretty upset about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, still trying to, you know, make sure I did my work and did my due diligence and did all my clinical work and then still trying to figure out a way to get the industry relevant experiences that I wanted that was a tough task, you know? And so an interviewer will see that. Um, I want to give confidence to everyone just to understand that, you know, if you're late in the game, you know, quote unquote late, if you're a third year or a fourth year and you just decide you want to do industry and your summers are gone and you haven't had a time to do um, one of those summer long internships at a drug company and you don't have industry rotation, you can still do it a hundred percent. And I think it's just a, about knowing what you want and then knowing how to make your situation fit the development of those skills. Because once you get the industry rotation, you know, you're going to have the industry experience. So that's not something you have to worry about anymore, but just learning how to mold the experiences that you do have coming up and figuring out, you know, how to make that fit for you. I think that's the most important thing. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then another thing I didn't think about, so I'm going to ask you, I don't know if you know, do they allow shadowing opportunities? So I guess it depends. When you say shadowing opportunities, what exactly do you mean? Do they allow the opportunity for a student to maybe they didn't get the industry position? They didn't, or sorry, they didn't get the industry um, rotation. You know, they applied, they didn't get it. They didn't do a summer research internship. It's the fourth year, maybe it's their block off. They have the free time and maybe they wanted to shadow an MSL in the Florida region or, or whatnot. Do you know if they allow that? Because I'm just trying to think of different ways that a student could possibly gain experience if, you know, those avenues are shut or they weren't sure until their fourth year. And it's like, what is something maybe that they can also do to kind of gain a little little experience if they're a visual person just like yourself to kind of um, gain some experience? Right. So that's a good question. And I think nine times out of 10, the answer would probably be no. And the only reason is because, you know, there's compliance issues. And if we're discussing data, you know, you know, with a with proactively with an investigator that hasn't been published, you know, for you as a student to have access to that knowledge is probably not okay for the company, like from a business yeah. aspect. But um, with that being said, I think, you know, you'd be surprised how much you can learn. I, I mean, I, so in those engagements that I had at my Novartis rotation, where I went out and saw the doctors, right. I had no idea what the drug, like, cause I was, <laughs> I was in a H-O-R rotation and cardiovascular and I was ironically it's kind of funny. Ironically, I was going on MSL field rides for MS. So I didn't really see that happen. Like I didn't see that connecting in any way at the time, but funny now looking back. Um, But when I was in those meetings with those physicians, I didn't really know what they were talking about or, you know, I was just sitting there. I was a bystander. The only thing I would say I gathered really from those engagements was I was shocked to see how much relationship building played a role in the engagement between the MSL and the physician, because for, I can give you a, an example. One of the meetings was like a 30 minute long meeting, but the first 20 minutes they spent time talking about like their kids and uh, a marathon that they were going to run. And so it was just, that was eye opening to me to see like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, they're kind of like friends, you know, like I understand now why they say relationships are so important. Um, but what was really beneficial for me was the time after that, where I sat with MSL and in this particular scenario, we walked around Manhattan and I got to just kind of pick their brain about what their day-to-day was like, what they did, you know, and why they, you know, how would they explain this role to someone or 
how as a student could I express my interest in this role? And so you can get that, you know, that's fine. You can yeah. establish a relationship with the MSL in your area and maybe you guys go to get dinner or you guys go out, you know, just to, to meet up and, and um, have a mentorship type of opportunity engagement. So that is okay. Now the specific meeting walking into the physician's office as a student, I don't know that you can get that, but yeah. that's not to say that that can provide you, you know, substantially more benefit than literally mm-hmm. just getting to pick the brain of an MSO. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then lastly, um, my last question for you is what's something you kind of wish you knew as a student to help prepare you for applying for a fellowship or preparing you for a career in industry? So this is an interesting question. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I never have a good answer for this question because I'm like an over-preparer to like the extremist extent. So I can't really say that I wish I would have done anything more because I'm the type of person that like will literally exhaust all my resources (laughs) to make sure that I look back and say, I wish I did some more. But I think what I see within my peers that I would encourage them is, I think for me, it goes back to the mentorship, man. There's so many people that I know who have a lack of knowledge because they're afraid to ask people for information. So I think as a student, I literally think the best thing you could ever do for yourself is to reach out to MSLs or whoever you want to you know, engage with in the industry and really establish that network. You know, people will look out for you in the future. Um, they will appreciate being a part of your development. You know, my thing is you can't be in every room, right? So yeah. You need someone to advocate for you in the rooms where discussions are happening about opportunities. You'd want someone in there that has confidence in you that could say, oh, well, have you thought about Joven? You know, like, mm-hmm. have you thought about Sean? Like, you know, they're really good candidates, you know, because you, you can't be there to advocate for yourself in every single opportunity, right? Um, there's no way you'd be in every room where a discussion like that is happening. So I just think those connections are so important. Uh, getting your name out there, you know, showing people that you're really interested in learning and developing and growing into this you know pharmacist and this professional that you want to be and that will carry you forward I'm really big on that because I think that's what I see students not do so much um, just out of fear of you know reaching out or not being sure what questions to ask Um, so I think for me that's the advice that I would give you know just reach out to people build your network and you'd be really surprised even even you know we talk about UF not necessarily having you know, the most focus on industry, but some of these teachers, you know, these professors, they have connections and they know people too. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they've been around, they've had a lot of different experiences. You'd be surprised um, the connections some of them have as well. So don't be afraid to even express your interest to a close faculty member or a close, you know, professor or someone that you feel confident in letting them know, Um, as well as your you're, you guys are about to, um, you guys just match. So you're already done with your rotation for third years under you who are about to go on rotations. Some of my closest mentors that are MSLs right now, I met through preceptors at the hospital. So, you know, these are preceptors that were not in industry settings, but they knew people in industry settings. You know, you got to remember, we all went to school and we were all part of a class of 200 something, right? So you're going to know someone in the industry probably more likely than not. So just don't be afraid to ask anyone to connect you or, you know, put a good word in for you somewhere. Got it. Thank you so much. Um, Definitely a lot of learning. I learned a lot. Um, (laughs) Now I definitely feel I could advise others 
that are interested in the industry path, definitely could point them to the podcast and definitely relay some of the information that you gave. And also I kind of see, um, I'm thinking back now when I told people on like my hippie that I was interested in industry and how they just looked at me crazy. Um, <laughs> and how like not all the preceptors <laughs> are very supportive of that, but other ones get it. They're like, Oh, like that's cool. Um, and I didn't think about asking them if they knew people or whatnot, but that's something that definitely, definitely do not feel afraid to mention. I'm super thankful. I actually brought that up to Dr. Vandervoort to be connected with, with um, Dr. Miller's friend who's a MSL. So um, you never know who these people know and who their friend might know as far as in that scenario. So definitely always feel free to verbalize what you're interested in and mention it, whether it's a faculty advisor, a faculty member, if you attend UF, even if you don't attend UF, you know, don't be afraid to bring it up to any of your professors. If you're already working, um, reach out to your colleagues. You probably have a colleague that's in there or you could reach out to Joe, uh, Sean and I, you can reach out to Alvin, you can reach out to Jeff, Brandon, all the different members of the podcast. And we most likely know somebody. Now we know Patrice. <laughs> so it's like we most likely know somebody that's in industry. And um, we have a couple buddies that did uh, get a fellowship. So if it's not even an MSL role, if it's a different career path, but it's still involved industry, definitely don't, definitely don't be shy and feel free to reach out to us. Um, Sean, I know you said you have a couple questions. You yeah, so I have a couple questions. Uh, first of all, I love this interview. Thank you so much for providing insights to your story and then also giving um, great words of wisdom and advice for our listeners as well. So my first question is, I believe you said you were kind of more focused in neurology, and I know you've been talking about how you're more focused on MS. So I was kind of wondering, do fellows or MSLs have a say in what they're, what sort of drugs or what drug classes or disease states they're going to be responsible for? Or is it more like you apply to a company going in knowing what they're focused on? Or how does that work? Yeah, so you, as, as someone applying to be an MSO, you would see what the company is focused on. Um, so you might see, okay, this is an MSL position in neurology for this company in XYZ state. And so you would look up, you might look at the company's drugs, you might be aware of it. Um, so I would say you have a say in the aspect of you can choose where you apply. Um, but yeah, I mean, the company's already probably having products on the market and different things like that. So in that sense, the company, um, you're at the company's disposal, but you get to choose what you want to you know, specialize in. Thank you so much for clearing that up for me. So my last question I had was, so I know for you, you kind of started in retail and then you were thinking more hospital administration. And it wasn't until I believe you said your third and fourth year, you kind of pivoted to industry. So I'm just kind of wondering from a standpoint, if, if you would have known early on, like let's say your first year, your first year student, you know, you you're completely set on industry. That's your focus. How would you have changed maybe what you did in school or maybe outside of school? How would that have changed your experience? So I think fortunately for me, I was always interested in leadership and different things like that. Um, which was important for building communication skills. So, you know, I was the president of ASCP. I was on the Dean's Leadership Council, um, class rep, student council, all that stuff. Um, so that was kind of just worked in my favor without me even really knowing it. But one thing I would probably have done differently if I was a first year and I knew I wanted to be an MSL and I knew I wanted industry was I would have applied to those summer internships. So typically you'll see like first years after the first year and after your second year getting to spend like, I think it's like three months or something like that at these industry companies and you get compensated well and you get to work on various types of projects. And, you know, I just think personally, 
the benefit to doing that even more so than a rotation in your fourth year is that if you're there for a longer time, you get to meet more people and you get to see more things. When I was doing my six week rotation at Novartis, I think I met a total of like 50 people at the company. I had like 50 one-on-ones. So imagine, and that was in six weeks. So imagine if I had been there for three months, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that's mainly what I would have done differently. And just, you know, I would have done like the, I think it's the, I don't remember who does it. I don't know if it's AMCP, but there's like a VIP case competition. And then there's like another one um, where like you're given a part of the drug development process and you have to do that. And you kind of learn the inner workings of the industry. I would have been more involved in IPHO. Um, I think mainly because I was president of ASCP, there are meetings like often overlapped. But even in my first and second year, like there were MSLs coming to the school to talk to us and stuff like that. And I had, you know, I didn't have any interest at that time. So those are things I skipped out on. But um, I would have just been more vigilant and looking out for more opportunities, I'd say. Got it. And then um, to piggyback off of Sean's first question, is there a specific disease state that you like the most? Because I know you mentioned like MS, um, CIDP. I forgot the other one that you also mentioned. Yeah, the other one I mentioned was um, ALS, but um, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a <laughs> preference right now, to be honest with you. I think for me, the way I think about it is I just want to be in a growing disease state. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to shame any disease state, but basically what I'm trying to say is some disease states still have more room for growth than others where there may not be a gold standard or you know, there may be still opportunities to have more, there's more, um, how do they say it? There's more, like room for, (laughs) what'd you say? Like room for interventions. Yeah. There's like, there's like a, a a pharmaceutical term that we use, um, gaps in therapy. So there's more gaps (laughs) in therapy. Um, and there's more room for opportunity to grow and expand, you know, drugs or types of therapies and things like that. So that's just kind of what I want to be in, um, thinking strategically for my career. So I would say for me, in my lens, that's like neurology, oncology, immunology, things like that, where there's a lot of disease states that still need a lot of work to be done. So that's kind of the route I would go, but I don't really have like a favorite right now, I can't say. All right. I was just wondering. And then um, that reminds me of one more thing I wanted to ask. Would you say coming in, because I'm sure you're reading those clinical trials. You're kind of going over some information coming in. Did you have to have a strong background in biostatistics or did you feel your fellowship kind of prepared you during that 16 week orientation? Hmm. That's actually a good question. No one ever asked me about like my um, background in biostatistics or anything like that. I think another benefit for pharmacy students going into these pharmaceutical industry rotations is that a lot of people in the process are pharmacists and they understand like what you have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. So on rotations, you do journal clubs and yeah. you know they probably ask you about something about biostats. So there's like a level of understanding, like, okay, this person has the mental capacity to understand this. Now for an MSL specifically, based because you have like a higher level degree, PharmD, you'll see nurse practitioners as MSLs, you'll see PhDs as MSLs. Their concern is not that they can teach you the knowledge. Like they know that you can learn the knowledge. They understand you have the mental capacity. It's more so about um, the one, the art of MSLing that you can't really teach is like the relationship building aspect and how to be good with people and how to have good communication skills. So I would say it's more so in my experience, in my interviews was more so focused on that. 
they do want to know that you can present and that you can present data in a concise way and you know make sure that the audience that you're presenting to has an understanding so for example one of my interviews i did have to give a brief presentation but in terms of learning the information they don't ever have any concern about your ability to learn information so they don't really they understand like okay this guy has seen biostats and like if we present him a chart like he'll understand how to read it they don't, i wouldn't say that they really pinpointed that as like a part of the interview questions okay uh, got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because um, I feel like that's something that a lot of a lot of students <laughs> are uh, makes them makes them nervous when they when it comes to biostats and journal clubs. But that's why I, I'm sure there was somebody thinking that. So I had to ask that question. But thank you so much, Patrice. That's it for the questions Sean and I have for you. Do you have any questions for us? Um, I don't really have any questions. I just want to say, um, obviously, thank you guys for the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. I love doing stuff like this. Um, yeah. And, you know, being a UF alumni, I just think what you guys are doing is really important. So I want to tell you guys, I appreciate what you're doing, you know, continue educating students and giving them an outlet and, you know, just some more forms of information. You know, this stuff is really helpful. Um, I'm glad to be a part of it. I really appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity to speak. And so, yeah, just wanted to mainly say thank you because I think what you're doing is awesome. Well, we, we definitely appreciate that. And thank you again for coming on. Um, industry is the the one field where we don't have the most connects so we're super fortunate that you're able to come on and be a representative for the field and for anybody that's listening what's the best way for them to kind of reach out and get in contact with you yeah so for me i would say linkedin probably the best you definitely need to message me because i i don't look at linkedin as much as i should um, <laughs> if i get a message it pops up on my phone yeah i think i think that's probably the best way Perfect. All right. So we'll go ahead and put your LinkedIn information in the show notes. Um, anybody that's listening, and we'll also probably put in the show notes, just message him on LinkedIn. Let him know you um, heard about him or you listened to him from the podcast and just uh, reach out. You could just tell him thank you for coming on. And thank you for educating you. Or if you have specific questions about MSL position, definitely just let him know. Um, once again, as you all know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, at Capsule Production on Instagram, Capsule Production Podcast on our Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on all major platforms except for Google Play. Sean's still working diligently to try to get us on Google Play. Don't know why they don't like us, but you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on um, Apple Podcasts, Capsule Production Podcast. And um, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it.